Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. So the three wise men, wise men, the magi, sometimes they're called. Uh, we have the Christmas carol, We Three Kings. Um, the reality is that we really don't know how many they are, but tradition holds it that they even have names. They're Jasper, Balthazar, and I don't know, some other guy, Fred. We'll just call him Fred because the Bible doesn't really mention their names. We don't know for sure. Uh, who they were, probably not exactly where they're from. In fact, the Bible doesn't even tell us that there was three or four. Um, we know that in Matthew's account, it's plural when, when he speaks of them. And um, there could be 20, there could be two. I guess the way that they figured it is there's three gifts given, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. I've never heard of the hummus thing yet, um, but, you know, Middle East, I, I might be able to see that. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean there was three. I think, I believe, that we are not going to know the answer to these perplexing questions this side of eternity. In fact, they're probably not even kings. They're just really rich guys of high social status that came to, to visit Jesus. And my plan, as I, as I kind of planned out the whole kind of Advent series as we're getting closer and closer to the celebration of Christmas, I really wanted to focus in on these three magi, wise men. They're not kings. But I, I kept getting kind of off topic, off track, and my focus went from the three or 20 or four of them to two kings that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 2. And so that's kind of where I ended up. So I've taken the focus off of the wise men, and I want to focus on two kings that Matthew writes about in chapter 2. So let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child's. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. 
and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh, and hummus. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So here we have this post, (laughs) with black olives, that's the best one. Uh, We have this post-birth story of of Jesus. And uh, there's a star that has risen, and these these guys have have seen this star. And and I think Matthew, what he's kind of referring to is uh, in Numbers chapter 24, it says that a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And so it's kind of making this reference to Old Testament prophecy. There's a coming of a king. There's a coming of a perfect king. This is the story of two kings. You see King Herod mentions. And then you see Herod the king Mention where, where is the Messiah? Where is it? Yeah, he asked them where the Messiah is born, or the Christ, which means anointed one, or king. And then in the prophecy, in verse 6, it talks about a ruler coming. And we know from last week that Jesus is in line, in the line, the royal line of David. And so... Instead of three kings, magi bringing gifts, what we have here are two kings whose kingdoms are about to clash, King Herod and King Jesus. And the question I think we have to wrestle with is, what king do we pledge our allegiance to? What king do we come under submission to? You can come under the madman Herod or the Messiah, Jesus, because Herod really was a madman. He was not a nice guy, the self-proclaimed king of the Jews. He ordered, out of fear of Jesus, countless babies, innocents, to to be murdered. When he took power, when he came into the kingship, he, uh, he executed the last remnants of the dynasty that went before him. He executed his wife his three kids, his three sons, out of fear. He executed his mother-in-law. He executed 300 of um, uh, court officials. He executed half of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious um, authorities. He was so evil that on his deathbed, he ordered all of the prominent men of Jerusalem to be gathered up and he put them in the Hippodrome, which would be just like a Colosseum. And the order was given that on the day he would die, all of those men would be executed. So there would be mourning in Jerusalem and not celebration over his death. This is King Herod, the madman. This is a man whose kingdom is coming to an end. And a new kingdom is going to be established. This is kind of what's written about in Psalm chapter 2. Now, I didn't put the psalm up there, but I would like to read it to you. It says this, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. 
And the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We see this psalm beginning to play out at the birth of Jesus. And so as, as we kind of look at this text and, and what kind of really drew me in and as I did my, my little the, the, the study that I do of, of text before I prepare, there's really three postures, three um, responses that take place to this, to this baby Jesus. It's one of indifference, there's one of hostility, and there's one of worship. And really, those three choices are kind of on a high level. They're the three choices that people have today on how to respond to Jesus. Indifference, hostility, or worship. So in Matthew, let's see, let's get this a little bigger here. Come on now. There we go. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what, is, what, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." So Herod calls together the religious leaders. So the wise men, they come. They ask this question about where's the Messiah born? Herod's a little troubled. He calls the people who would know the scripture. These guys have it memorized, literally have it memorized. The scribes are continually writing and rewriting the scripture, not adding or subtracting, just just copying it. And the, I, I don't know, it, maybe it's like a, a Jeopardy game. And Herod says, well, where's the Messiah to be born? And, and one chimes in, Bethlehem in Judea. This is kind of Bible trivia 101. Obviously, Herod is not up on his Jewish scripture. He, has, he doesn't know the answer to it. But we see in this picture that these leaders, in fact, all of Jerusalem... I mean, they know in the context of what this question is being asked in. Everybody must have heard that these, these visitors have come and they've asked the question. They said, the star has led us here. The king of the Jews is born. Where can we find this, this baby? And there's a little bit of troubling in there, meaning they just kind of thought about it for maybe a, a little bit, but they do nothing with this information. These learned men who know the scripture, who know the prophets, hear that the Messiah, his star is up. And they do nothing about it. It seems that they just go back 
to their everyday work. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, I think he describes them well as always learning and never able to arrive at the truth. So the entire city is a little troubled, but not enough to ask the question, could this be it? Could this be the Messiah? And so life just kind of continues on. As a pastor, I have found that this indifference is existent in the church. I know that sounds weird. Church people coming, worshiping, part of a community, but, but in indifference to Jesus? People come to church, and, and not this church, obviously I'm talking about other churches. People come to church each and every Sunday, and yet the rest of the week, they live the way they want to live, and not the way God has called them to live. They come to church on Sunday, and they sing, and they use all their best Christianese, and everything is great, and then they go home, and they live like there is no king over their life. Or worse, they are the kings and queens of their own lives. See, we have access to the king of kings. We've been invited to know the king of kings. We know him through, we can know him through his word. This is his revelation to us so that we can know who the king of kings is. We can know him through, through prayer and not just talking and listing off the things that we need or that we want, but, but prayer where we engage and sit before the presence of God and allow him to speak to us as we speak to him. We can, we can know him through, through serving in his name. But people come to church and they come on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, they just don't seem to have the time to engage the king of kings. And so they live a way that they see fit, that's comfortable for them. See, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that's what makes you a Christian. Now, I really was challenged this week because I had to ask myself and I figured if there was a little contention in my soul this week, I'm just going to pass it on to you at a very cost-cutting savings. Because the question I had to wrestle with this week was where in my life have I become indifferent to Jesus? Where in my life have I not yet put under the lordship of the king? What have I made more important in my life than him? And I, it's a good question to ask. It's a good question to wrestle with, not in a condemning way, but a way that God wants to free us from ourselves. And so we can look at our time. Is all my time about me? We can look at uh, relationships. Have we put a relationship above 
the importance of Jesus? Have we put our finances above the importance of Jesus? Is, is everything revolving and resolving around me? Or do I look to Christ and his kingdom come and be part of that kingdom come? To serve in that kingdom come? Where is the indifference to Jesus in your life? Here's the thing. I, I really believe this, that we all have it somewhere, something. Something that we've lifted a little bit higher than Christ's. And allow the Spirit of the Lord to come upon you and let you know what it is. Let you know how he wants to free you from your kingship and become king over you. So we read this story of the indifference, these religious leaders who study the scripture, they know the prophecies, see an entire, the entire uh, town of Jerusalem just kind of indifferent. But there's one player in this story that ends up not being indifferent, and that is Herod himself. The question by the wise men troubled him. But he takes a very different approach. He takes one of hostility. See, he hates the idea that there may be another king of the Jews that has been born. He's the king. And he's going to try and kill Jesus. The little plan about sending the the wise men off to see where the baby is, then report back so he can go worship, lies. He wants to get a hold of this little baby and have him killed. He does not want his, his kingdom, his kingship to be in jeopardy. He hates everything that this new baby stands for. He's looking at it from a very selfish perspective. I mean, this is only king of the Jews, the Messiah of the entire world. But he wants nothing to do with it. And so he takes a very hostile approach. Now, since we have televisions, newspapers, iPads, so we can read the news, social media, we have this flood of information that continually bombards us. I don't know if you've noticed, but in this flood of information, you might sense a, a thread of hostility that runs through it all. It seems everyone is mad at everyone else because they don't agree with everyone, what everyone has or is thinking about. Like, if you don't share my perspective, I hate you. And I know that sounds extreme, but it's kind of what's, what's out there. Now, if you add Christianity to that mix and you stand firm in Christian and biblical morals and ethics, you become really a target in our culture today. People don't really want to hear about the simple moralities or ethics of of Scripture. And if you take a stand for them, you may just catch some heat. If you read, uh, even now, um, the New Atheists, scientists, philosophers. There are people writing entire books refuting Christianity. Refuting gospel truths. Refuting God. Refuting Jesus. 
Now, I have to say this, that I think the church has to take some ownership of the hostility towards it because we have not always been um, loving in our approach to sharing the gospel. We have not always been graceful in sharing the gospel. We have, at times, come across as arrogant, over-spiritual, like we have all the answers to all the questions. Turn and burn, folks, or you're going to hell, which may be true, but we do not speak those things in love and in grace. We can stand in the authority of the Scripture but allow the scripture to offend and not your attitude to offend. There's a difference. There's a difference to it. See, we do have, really, the church only has one answer to the biggest question. Is there more than this? And we have the answer, and that answer is Jesus. Period. And how that all fleshes itself out in individual lives, in communal lives, in society, and culture. And so at times we haven't done a good job. We've been arrogant. We've been prideful, mean. But there's still an entire intellectual community that stands against the Christian faith, that push back against the Christian faith. Entire books pushing atheism as normative as something that that refutes and and it's a solid grounds rebuttal of christianity as i was studying um this week i found one author and and he said he said he was wrestling with why intellectuals are kind of um hounding this idea of christianity and and he writes i want to get his quote um he says this an intellectual only attacks what they know to be a real threat to their way of thinking and living. See, Jesus is the threat. And it threatens falsehood. Truth threatens falsehood. And so people become hostile to push back. Herod understands what's going on here. If this baby grows up, he might lose the kingdom and all of the perks of of being king. See, if the prophets are correct and this baby is the Messiah, then Herod is in real trouble. If Jesus is king, then Herod is not king. Which translates down the line, if Jesus is king then I am not king, and you are not king, but Jesus is king. That means that I do not get to live my life any way I choose, any way I please. That means that I am to come into submission. I know we don't like that word, to submit, but submission to the king. And we don't like that word because I think we have, we have ruined it, In the church, we have ruined it in our society. Nobody wants to submit to anything. But look at the invitation, the invitation of our king. This is what he said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is your king speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is the invitation of your king. Come to me if you're burdened and you're weary. Why wouldn't anyone submit themselves to that grace and that love, to that invitation? And yet there's this clash of kingdom that's happening here with Herod and with Jesus. Because look what Jesus would also say. Do you suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth? I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Holy smokes, Christmas, the Christmas story, as, as gentle as we'd like to portray it. Tomorrow night, we're all going to stand here, and the lights are going to go off, and we're going to have candles lit, and we're going to sing Silent Night, and it's just going to be this, this sacred oh, thing going on. But yet Christmas is a violent clash of kingdoms that is taking place. It's a conflict against, it's, it's good against evil. It's light against darkness. This is what the Christmas story is also. Now, when I think about this indifference or hostility, I've come to the place of, of imagining that indifference to Jesus is, is foolish, I have the word stupid in my notes, but I thought stupid would be too harsh. So I'm going to use the word foolish. It's illogical at best because you have to ignore a lot of stuff to be comfortable in your indifference toward Christ. You have to ignore a lot of truths to be comfortable with your indifference to Jesus. C.S. Lewis would say it this way. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only, thing, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So either it's completely true or it's completely false. Those people who just kind of go, eh, are in real trouble. And if you don't know, I stand on the side of completely true. Now, on hostility, on the other hand, I get that one. Uh, that, that makes sense to me because we have this inherent sin nature that we oppose the things of God, the things of Christ, the things of the gospel. We were, we were kind of born this way. I've said it over and again that you do not have to teach children how to be selfish. That comes pre-wired in them. And you have to train them in a different way. And the fact of Jesus being king means that many everyday kings and queens are going to be dethroned, which can make some people feel kind of angry. That they are not the ultimate in their own lives. Indifference. Hostility, I get. But the third and the, the final response to Jesus is one of worship. On coming to the house, the Magi saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these Magi, they've probably been traveling for a long time. 
they were persistent in finding this child. They went to this king, this King Herod, who has this reputation of being crazy, of just killing people randomly because he doesn't like them or he is fearful of them. So they take their life into their own hands. They come to this King Herod. They ask a question in their persistence to find this child. Now, these men, probably powerful, they're rich. I'm sure they have servants and slaves. I'm sure that they, they have people who would even bow down to them. And they come and they bow down to the child and they worship him. Herod, king of the Jews, doesn't worship him. The religious leaders and the religious, religious elite do not worship him. All the people in Jerusalem ignore him. But these, these Gentiles worship a baby. And, and this baby isn't like we see the baby Jesus, you know, he, he's, he's standing there like, 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 how do they do it? Like, like this, you know, and he's got the halo and he's holding the little lamb and he's got the little crown. We're not talking about a baby like that. We're talking about these very wealthy, prominent men coming into a peasant home with peasant parents, which means that they're dirt floor poor, looking at this peasant baby, and it's in that context that they bow down in worship because they know who he is. Not only are these Magi Gentiles, but they're not saying I want to categorize their sin, but they are pretty much sinners because Magi, we get, you know, in the Greek and all that, and it's the root word where we get our word magician from. And so it's, it's kind of the same context of, in, in the book of Daniel, um, Nebuchadnezzar summoned the, the magos, the, 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 the magicians, to interpret his dreams. And we see when Moses comes to Pharaoh, that, that Pharaoh, uh, he calls his magicians in to kind of go, kinda go uh, tit for tat with Moses in, in the miracles that, that, Moses was, um, that God was doing through Moses. So these guys are probably kind of a combination of uh, Gandalf, David Copperfield, and Gene Dixon. Anybody know who Gene Dixon is? Mm-hmm. Astrologers, maybe enchanters, wizards. These are the people that God has told his people, don't take part in that stuff, man. That will get you in trouble. There's some real spiritual consequences to that whole astrology wizard thing that takes place. And so this whole scene of these, these, these magi coming is a scandal. Like these Gentile sinners have come to worship Christ. Who do they think they are? But isn't that the good news of the kingdom? Isn't that the good news of the gospel? That God is for all. For all who would believe in him, he has given the right to become children of God.
for all who would believe in him. When the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field on the, the day that Christ was born, the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The scandal of Christmas is that it draws us sinners in. It draws in the broken so they could be healed. It draws in the weary and the burdened so those things could be lifted. The scandal of Christmas is all fall short of the glory of God, but the invitation is to come and be reconciled back to him through Christ. See, we all have a choice to make when it comes to Jesus. We all have a choice to make when it comes to this king. And in our Western world, we don't really fully grasp uh, the, the fullness of kingdom and king. It, it, it doesn't really kind of uh, articulate well in our democratic society. But I think we all have to wrestle with this idea of who is our king. And is he king over everything? Who have we submitted ourselves to? Who will, be, who will we worship? What will we worship? See, we've, we, we, we've been wired for worship. We will worship something. If not Jesus, something else. Who and what will we worship? In John chapter 18... The story goes, Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now... My kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Who is your king? Are you on the side of truth in each and every area of our lives. Oh, this journey of faith, it's so, it's so, uh, it feels back and forth, up and down. But that's God's good grace poured out upon us. That when we fall, he picks us up. That when we fail, he brushes us off. And he invites us, try again, try again. I'm here for you, try again. Who is your king? And have you submitted those places that even God is speaking to you now about? Have you submitted those things under his lordship, under his kingship? That's the Christmas story. And that's what we celebrate this time of year. A king. A king is born. You know, if you're wrestling with some area in your own life, um, 
in submitting those things to, to Christ to put under his lordship. We've got some people that'll be up here to pray for you, to pray with you, so don't hesitate to be prayed for. If you feel funky about coming up here, then, then sit and, and ask somebody to pray with you. They will. And if they don't, just let me know and we'll excommunicate them. It's okay. And then forgive them later. Don't forget tomorrow night we celebrate once again the kingship of Jesus in a Christmas Eve service. And for those of you who are coming uh, tomorrow night, I look forward to seeing you. And for those that aren't going to be here because you're traveling, got some family stuff going on, I want to bless you. Uh, have a great, great uh, weekend or the time with, with family and friends. Um, but remember, a king has been born. We are servants. We are children of that king. Have we fully submitted ourselves over to him? Father, we thank you. We love you. We are humbled to come before you. Now, Father, I pray a blessing upon this group. May the spirit of the Lord resonate deeply within their souls. May he bring to light those dark places that we, we tend to keep to ourselves, that there may be freedom, the, the, the spirit of freedom would be poured out upon this church this morning and that people would be um, rescued from themselves, that the darkness will become just a little bit lighter from the light of Christ. And may grace heal all wounds that the enemy that the enemy causes for our destruction. May grace, may grace, um, may it speak the truth of the gospel and quiet that voice that says, you're not good enough, you did it again. How can you do this? He'll never forgive you. Because forgiveness is at hand when we come before our king. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Love you guys. We'll see you, uh, some of you, next uh, No Tomorrow Night. Yes.